Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn in them to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If not, we have the verses up there on the screen. You can follow along with that as well. But Mark chapter 8, someone asked the question the other day. Hey, police officer, I pay your salary. What do you do? What do you make? Here was the response. I make holding your hand seem like the most important thing in the world when someone tried to hurt you. I can make your child breathe when he stops. I make myself get out of bed at 3 a.m. to risk my life to save people I've never met. I make myself go to work for your family's safety, a duty that I'll die for. I make myself work birthdays, holidays, nights, anniversaries, and disasters. Today, I might make the ultimate sacrifice to save your life. I make a difference. What do you make? We're here to say thank you to the police this morning, and I'll reference the police a lot, I suppose, in the message, because that's who we're talking about and who the message is most relevant for this morning. But I want you to know that this message applies to all of us, whether you're an officer, whether you're a family member of a police officer, someone who came to show support for the police, someone who randomly showed up and had no idea that this was Police Appreciation Sunday, my kids who have to be here because they're my kids. (laughs) This message is for everyone this morning. Do you know, we are all made up, and the chief actually, it's it's funny that he actually referenced this because he gave me something to talk about this morning in the message. I'm kidding. I had this written down already, but we are all made up of body, soul, and spirit, and many people put a lot of emphasis on the body, the physical. Uh, You see them in the gym working out. You see them running down the road trying to get in shape. You see them reading the nutrition labels on, on, you know, the back of whatever is going into their mouth. I look at it just so I know how bad the thing is that I'm going to eat. Uh, I know that for eight months, police officers go through a rigorous training regimen to try to get in shape so that they can be the best police officer by the time they come out of the academy. And what happens during that time is that, that many of them become so focused on the physical that they do it to the detriment of the soul and the spirit. And so many people do that. We cannot be a complete person if we only focus on the physical, because we are our soul and spirit as well. You're missing out on and neglecting a huge part of who you really are. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus pulls his disciples together and asks them a very poignant question. Let's look at it. He says in Mark chapter 8, in verse number 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Here's the question he asks. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So what happens when you're able to finally reach everything that you're reaching for? When you finally get that body that you've always wanted, when you finally get the promotion that you've been working for for your entire life, when you finally reach the income level that you feel you finally have everything together and you can retire in comfort, what then? It takes a lot of discipline to achieve those milestones. I'm not denying that. It takes a lot of hard work, and both of those are very desirable characteristics. But isn't there more to life than just life? The Bible says that there is. The Bible talks about our two options in eternity. There's heaven and there's hell. 
Oh, there he goes again. I finally come to church, and this is what he's going to try to ram down our throats. But hear me out. We, if we are body, soul, and spirit, then we have to pay attention to the soul and the spirit as much as we pay attention to the body. And what a better way to focus on those things than what the Bible has to say about it. I mentioned this already, but when an officer puts on that uniform and walks out the door, he's not guaranteed to walk back in the door at the end of the day. So let me focus on the soul and the spirit for a few minutes this morning. Let me ask you this question. Are you 100% sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that if you died today, you would spend an eternity in heaven? There's a lot of people that would say they hope so or that they think so based on the good things that they've done. Look, listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. If the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life, then certainly there's a plan. Certainly there's a way. Certainly there's something that would give us that assurance that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. But I have to tell you this as well. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning for just a couple of minutes. I want to look at three examples in the Bible of some people who are honestly just not good people. A couple of these may shock you. The title of the message this morning is simply what I just mentioned. Good people don't go to heaven. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple of things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the time we can spend together here. God, we're not here to try to ram religion down somebody's throat or something like that, but we want folks to know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. And I pray that this message might be a help to somebody that does not have that taken care of and that by the end of the message this morning, they would be able to pray and accept you as their Savior because they're getting that settled. I pray that you give me clarity of thought and mind as I preach the message this morning and that you give us exactly what we need in Jesus' name. Amen. The first one I want to look at is Paul. The Apostle Paul, believe it or not, Paul was not a very good person. Now, I know that he's looked at in the Bible as one of the greatest saints that ever lived, and he did become that. I'll, I'll grant that to you, but Paul was on the road to Damascus when he met the Lord. You know what he was doing on his way to Damascus? Actually, we have to back up just a little bit because Stephen, who was the first martyr, the first one that died for his faith in Jesus Christ, was stoned. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now, his name was Saul before God changed his name. He was the apostle Paul. And as they were stoning this Christian, as they were stoning this man who stood up for the cause of Jesus Christ, they came and laid their coats down at Paul's feet. And then they took up rocks and they stoned Stephen for his belief in Jesus Christ. And a couple of verses later, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And Saul consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul is actually persecuting Christians. That's what he made. He made it his life's mission. Put them to death. He was doing it out of religious zeal. He thought he was doing God a favor by going and killing all of these Christians who said that they believed in Jesus Christ. Indeed, that's exactly what Paul was doing when he went to Damascus. It says in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound 
into Jerusalem. I don't think anybody at this point could accuse the Apostle Paul of being a good person. Here he is killing Christians. Here he is with a letter from the, from the, from the high priest taking these things to Damascus so that if he found anybody that claimed to be a Christian, he could bind them and bring them back and throw them in prison. Many of them were put to death after that. You see, Paul, Paul was religious, but he was lost. The stark reality is that religion has nothing to do with salvation. It's not about a religion. I'm a Baptist, obviously, but I'm not a Baptist to get to heaven. You might consider yourself to be anything else. Those things don't determine whether or not you go to heaven. Religion has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Fast forward a few years. Paul's lived a fruitful life in service for Jesus Christ. He came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior on the road to Damascus that day. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. According to the law, Paul was doing what the religious people in that day considered to be the zealous work of God. To them, he was doing a good thing by getting rid of these Christians. But Paul realized that it was not good people that go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Let me tell you another story. Maybe you don't know this one as well. If you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 4 with me. There's a story of what's known as the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan, and the Jews hated with a passion the Samaritans. Uh, and that was not a secret. They didn't make, a, they didn't make any secret about that. The, the Samaritan race was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and the Jews hated them for that. And honestly, the Gentiles hated, hated them for that as well. So Samaria was kind of a place that was stuck right in the middle of the land of Israel. And the Jews who needed to go and get somewhere on the other side of Samaria would go miles out of their way to walk around Samaria because they would not even walk through the land of Samaria because they hated them that much. But Jesus obviously was different. In John chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And instead of going all the way around like so many other people did, Jesus went through the land of Samaria. And this poor woman... She's despised in her life. She's rejected in her life. Surely that means that she'll get rewarded in the life after, right? Well, the Bible says this in John chapter 4 and verse number 3. He left Judea and departed again into, Samaria, into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. When he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give thee shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. 
The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidst truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Jesus said unto her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour coming, and that word woman is not a term of disrespect. It's basically saying, Ma'am, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, this, this poor woman, obviously, she was a Samaritan. She was part of this despised group of people, part of this rejected group of people. But Jesus has this conversation with her. He talks about her sin, and you read the rest of the story. She goes back, and she says, you've got to come see this man. He told me everything that I ever did in my life. You've got to see it. He's got living water. So here you have a Samaritan woman who was rejected, but she was also lost. Sin has nothing to do with whether or not we can be saved. Nobody is too good that doesn't need to be saved, and no one is too bad that cannot be saved. Everyone has to come to Jesus Christ, not by being a good person, but by accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior. Let me show you one last story in Luke chapter 23. And this one is probably uh, the one that most of all of you would be familiar with. And Jesus was in his last moments of agony on the cross. And anytime you see a picture of the crucifixion, you see the one tall cross in the middle, and you see two crosses on the side next to him, right? The three crosses. The two that were crucified on either side of Jesus Christ were criminals. They were there because of wicked things that they had done. They were there because they deserved to be there. That was their punishment that was being meted out. One of them mocked Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23 and verse 39, and one of the malefactors, one of the criminals which were hanged, railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Obviously. Oh, you claim to be Jesus? Then get us off of this cross. You claim to be God? Then get us off this cross. You claim to have the power? Then get yourself and us off the cross. Now, that just proves one thing. Jesus was there willingly. The Bible says that he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have had them come and take him off the cross and to set him free. But he died there willingly for you and me. But one of those thieves, one of those criminals on the other side of him said, All right, you're God? Then do something. Verse 40, but the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Here's a man who is a rascal. Surely he was on his way to hell for all the things that he had done, all the crimes that he had committed. He had lived his life as a criminal, and now he was paying for his crimes. Jesus tells him that that day he would be with him in heaven. How can that be? Only good people go to heaven, right? Only those who have lived an entire life of, of doing everything that they can to please God can go to heaven, right? This is not a good man. This is not a man that deserves heaven, but I tell you again, it's not good people that go to heaven. It's saved people. And here in the last moments of his life, this criminal 
looks over at Jesus and recognizes just exactly who that man is that he's being crucified next to. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Son of God. It's the sinless one. It's the perfect lamb that was being crucified on a cross to pay for his sins. And he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as he's hanging there on a cross, taking his last breaths. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, I want you to notice something about that. He didn't have time to jump off the cross and go get baptized, did he? Baptism has nothing to do with salvation, just like our sin has nothing to do with whether or not we accept Christ, and just like being good or being bad has nothing to do with whether or not we can accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. That criminal realized who Jesus Christ was as he was hanging on the cross, and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. See, baptism works. None of that has anything to do with salvation. Living as sinless as possible has nothing to do with salvation, because good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. So then how can you be saved? Well, there's a few verses that the Bible talks about. In fact, many verses, most of them in Romans, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul wrote after his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. But the first thing is that you have to realize that you're a sinner. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. Wow, that's, those, those things are things that are in my past, or those things that are things that I just don't want to talk about to people. And... Granted, you shouldn't be walking around bragging about all the sins that you've committed. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means because of one sin, one sin, I can't get to heaven. And I, I use this illustration a lot, but it's as if we were going to try to jump across the Grand Canyon and nobody can jump across the Grand Canyon. It doesn't matter how athletic you are. It doesn't matter how unathletic you are. You're not getting across the Grand Canyon. And it's the same thing is true of us trying to get to heaven by our own good works. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. None of us can get to heaven on our own because we're all sinners. And because we've sinned, we deserve to die and spend an eternity in hell. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die and spend an eternity in hell because of that sin. A Brooklyn man once was arrested for burglary, and he was sentenced to several years in the state penitentiary, and he wasn't in there for very long before he, uh, he escaped. And following him to, uh, 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 actually what happened was they, they put a detective on the case. And this detective trailed this man for years. And he would get within a couple steps of him and knew that he just about had him and find that this man had disappeared into thin air again. And for years, this detective tracked this escaped criminal. Well, he got a clue. And bit by bit, he tracked down every one of those clues, and he kept searching for that escapee until one day, many years later, he finally found this escaped criminal. He followed him into a convenience store, and the detective approached him from behind, and he put his hand on his shoulder. And he noticed that he was, he notified him that he was under arrest. And this man was shocked. And he, he said, well, what did I do? He said, I know what you did years ago. I know how you broke out of prison. I know how you've been living on the run for all of these years. You disappeared out west. You got married. You started a family. And now you came back to Brooklyn to continue living your life. Realizing that his future was going to be in prison, the man asked the officer if they, at least they could go back to his house so he could tell his wife everything. His wife had no idea that he was an escaped criminal. His kids had no idea that he had this in his past. When they arrived at his house, the man asked his wife, have I been a good husband to you? He said, have I been a good father to our children? Of course. His wife said, well, yes, absolutely. You've been a good 
husband, you've been a good father, but why are you asking me this? It was at that point that this escaped criminal told his wife everything, told her about his past that he had kept hidden for all of those years, told her about the fact that he was in prison for those crimes and that he escaped from prison, and now this detective had finally tracked him down. He begged the detective to, to recognize how he had turned his life around and how he had a family now and how he was doing so well. Could you please just let me go, he asked the detective. Yet the detective still handcuffed him and let him away. Because, you know, he may have lived several years as a law-abiding citizen. He may have demonstrated love and kindness and, you know, all of these things for his family, but he was still guilty of burglary, and he had still not finished out his sentence. And justice demands that the penalty be paid in full. You see, that's exactly what it is with our sin. Maybe you had a past where you just lived it up, and now you're older and wiser and more mature. You don't partake in a lot of those things that you used to partake in anymore. And you might be perfect. Hardly possible, but you might be perfect. But our past still demands justice. And that justice, according to the Bible, is that we deserve to spend an eternity in hell. That's the penalty for our sin. Look, if, if somebody killed your husband, let's say, or killed your wife, or killed one of your children, and they went and stood before the judge, and the judge said, you know what, I'm kind of feeling nice today. We'll just erase it. We'll pretend like nothing happened. Everybody just go on home. I know you're, you're missing your loved one, but, you know, look, I mean, he's a nice guy. Just, just, just let him go this once. I, I'm feeling nice today. And everybody walked out of the courtroom. You know what they would be saying to the media? Justice was not done. This man went free. He was not called on to pay for his crimes. He killed my son. He killed my husband. He killed my wife. How can you just let him go free because you feel nice today? So many people that say that about God. Well, there's no way that a good God could condemn someone to spend an eternity in hell. Oh, God is merciful, all right. But he's also just. And his justice demands that there be a payment for the sins that we've committed. But God is merciful, and he gives us a way out. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth, God gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew that I was going to come along someday. 2,000 years after he was crucified on the cross, he knew that there was going to be a man named Steve Boots. And he knew that I was going to lie. He knew that I was going to disobey. He knew that I was going to cheat and steal and disrespect my parents and authority. And he knew I was going to do all those things. And you know what he did because of it? He died on the cross. So when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. A chaplain was ministering to a soldier in the hospital, and he said, you've lost an arm in a great cause. And that soldier looked over at that chaplain, and he said, I didn't lose it. I gave it. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for every single one of us. He didn't lose his life on the cross that day. He gave his life on the cross that day. You see, many people feel as if the things that they've done in their life are enough to disqualify them from ever getting to heaven. 
They say, I'm not, I'm not worthy enough to save. There's no way God's ever going to let me in. On the other hand, there might be some people who say, you know what, I've done a lot of good things in my life. Certainly, certainly when I stand before God, he's going to take all the good things on one side and all the bad things on the other. And, and I know I've done so many good things that my good, good things are going to have to outweigh those bad things. He's got to let me in. But you know, there's a problem with that. If I get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? And I say, well, look, I've been to church a whole lot in my life. In fact, I don't even know how to count how much money I gave to the church. I can't tell you how many people I've helped. I can't tell you how many people I've done good things for. I can't tell you how I tried every day to be a good person. And if God says, it's a good, good thought. You know what? Come on in. Why am I there? Because of me. Jesus Christ never would have had to die on the cross if I could get there by my own good works, if I could get there by everything that I did. But I tell you what's going to happen with me. One day I'm going to stand before Christ and he's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, look, I'm not a very good person when it comes down to it. I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm not proud of. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I've accepted him as my Savior. And when he says, come on in, you know why I'm going to be there? It's not going to have anything to do with me. It's not going to have anything to do with the bad that I've done or the good that I've done. It's going to have everything to do, everything to do with what Jesus Christ did for me. And I'm not there because of me. I'm there because of him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Am I going to skip around heaven and run down those streets of gold telling everybody I'm there because of all the good that I've done? No, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with him. So should we be good people? Absolutely. Should we try to do good? The Bible says Jesus Christ went about doing good. Absolutely we should be trying to do those things. But that has nothing to do with whether I'm going to get to heaven or not. It has everything to do with whether I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. See, there's a lot of people who believe in the story of Jesus. They believe that he lived a sinless life. They believe that he died on the cross. They believe that, that he was an actual true historical figure. That's a good start, but that's only partial and incomplete faith to believe that a certain doctor exists and has a large practice and that he can help people is a whole lot different than you actually going to him and saying, help me. The same is true with Jesus Christ. You can believe that there was a Jesus and that he did die on the cross and that he's willing to pay for sins and everything else, but until you come to him and say, I'm trusting in you as my own personal Savior to take away my sins, until then, it's just a, a, a historical figure that you believe in. He's waiting for us to believe on him to take away our sins. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A couple verses later in verse 13, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What? That's it? No, certainly I have, to, I have to pay for the things that I've done. Certainly I've got to do this. Certainly I have to do that. Certainly there's got to be some way that I can earn my way to heaven. No, in fact, the more we try, the less we accomplish when it comes to those things. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sin. Not so that I could work my way to heaven, but so that I could trust in him as the payment for my sin. When, Jesus, when God looks at me, he doesn't see all the sins that I've ever committed. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering all of those sins. And when he looks for my name in the Lamb's book of life, and the Bible talks about this in Revelation, when he looks for my name in the Lamb's book of life, he's not going to see my name written there. He's going to see my name crossed out and Jesus Christ's name written over top of that. That's how I'm going to get to heaven. And the Bible says that you may know that you have eternal life. He gives us the plan. Well, that's too simple. It's too easy. Just believe that he died on the cross. Believe that I'm a sinner. Ask him to come into my heart. Forgive me for those sins and take me to heaven. That's it. Surely it's got to be harder than that. It's not. We make it harder than that many times, but it's not. That's the plan of salvation. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible says, how we can get to heaven. And the Bible says it's so simple that a child can do it. In fact, I was a child when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you know that when you do what God says, there's no chance that he's going to lie. There's no chance that he's going to fail in his promises. When he promises us eternal life by accepting him as our Savior, he means it. And he'll follow through with every promise that he's ever made us. On Sunday, March 6th of 1881, a boat was wrecked off the north, north coast of Scotland. Fishermen on the shore made several attempts to get a line on board, but the wind was too strong. And finally, they succeeded in getting an empty barrel over to that ship that was actually attached to a line. And they, one by one, started to put these fishermen in this barrel and drag them back to shore. And they got one guy back, but the waves just started getting so rough, and it, and it just threw this barrel, and it actually tangled the line to the place where they couldn't move the barrel back and forth. And one, one young man who was on that boat was so scared that he was going to drown that he decided he was going to jump out of that boat and swim to the shore. He could see the shore. It wasn't that far away. And he said, surely I can make it there. I'm a strong swimmer. So he jumped out of that boat. And not more than a few strokes into his swim, a huge wave washed over him. And he came up gasping for breath. And the next thing you know, another wave washed over him. And he came up gasping for breath again. Finally, the third wave pushed him underneath, and he never came back up. It wasn't long after that that the line actually became untangled. And they were able to move that barrel back and forth again. And they got all 15 of those passengers on that boat off of that fisher, fisher boat and got them back to shore safely. And the captain was asked about the lost man. And he said, we tried to persuade him not to attempt such a useless task. We told him that it would be impossible for him to reach the shore that way, but he wouldn't listen to us. Boy, what a fine fellow he was. The best man in the crew. But he was lost because he tried to save himself. He tried to save himself in his own way. Yes, all the rest of us were saved, he said, but it was all by somebody else's hand. See, our human powers are completely inadequate for salvation. We can't do it on our own. As hard as we try. One of these days, and I know this to be true because it happens to everyone, one of these days we're going to be standing on the brink of eternity. No one has achieved the level of human immortality yet. But you're going to look over that precipice of death Staring you back in the face are going to be two options, heaven or hell. 
oh, I don't want to go to hell. That's a horrible, horrible place. There's an unquenchable lake of fire. There's worms. There's, there's gnashing of teeth. There's outer darkness. There's separation from God forever. I don't want to go to hell. Look at the splendor of heaven. I want to go there. Streets of gold, mansions, bright, the, the river of life. Much greater sights than I could ever have dreamed of. That's where I want to be. Well, let me tell you this morning. That according to the Bible, if you wait until you reach eternity, it's too late. It's too late. God gives us this entire lifetime, however long or short it may be. God gives us this entire lifetime to make our decision whether we're going to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior or if we're going to reject him as our Savior. God, in his great mercy, gives us an entire lifetime to make that decision. Am I going to live for the here and now? Live it up, gain the whole world, and lose my soul? Or am I going to realize that I'm a sinner, that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to save? You die and go to hell, you die and go to hell with your sins paid for. The debt has already been taken care of. There is nothing else that we owe on that sin debt. But we have to reach out and accept the payment. He's already paid it. It's already been written down. It's already been signed in blood. We just have to accept it. Oh, could you imagine if I brought the chief up here this morning and I offered him this gift and he said, eh, appreciate it, but no thanks. I'd say, what? How could you do something like that? I mean, what a slap in the face. They're trying to do something nice for you and, and you, you rejected the gift? But yet, how many people do that with Jesus Christ? He gave his life as a gift on the cross for us so that all we have to do is accept his gift as the payment for our sin. And so many people say, eh, good story. Thanks for doing that, but I got a lot of life to live. Got a lot of things that I want to accomplish. Got a lot of things that I want to do. I'll accept your gift later. One of these days, it's going to be too late. There won't be time to accept that gift. No amount of good that you can do in this life will ever come close to paying the debt in the way that Jesus Christ did. And that's why I tell you this morning, dear folks, that good people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. Let's pray. If we could have every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you've never heard that before. And I'm not trying to, this is, this is not new. The gospel has been around for 2,000 years. It's been around since the Bible was written. This is, everything that I shared with you this morning is in the Bible. And boy, wouldn't it be great on a day like this for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. So many people go through life doubting. What happens after this? What happens after this life? Well, I've achieved a whole lot of things. I've done a whole lot of things. I've been able to accomplish a lot. I've been able to do a lot of things that I've always wanted to do. But you know, I just don't know what's going to happen after. I'll tell you. It's going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. 
certainly the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to accept his gift on the cross as the penalty for your sin and mine. And I'd love to get someone to take a Bible and show you for sure how you can know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. There is no decision. Not who you marry. Not your career. Not where you live. Not what you drive. No decision is more important that you will ever make in your life than deciding where you're going to spend eternity. Than deciding whether you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior or you're going to reject Him. No decision is more important than that. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. We thank you for the time that you've allowed us to gather around your word and to share a few verses from the Bible that will allow us to know for sure that we're going to heaven. I thank you for saving me all of those years ago. It doesn't make me a better person than anybody else. I'm just one beggar trying to tell other beggars where to find bread. And God, you've given me the privilege of being able to hear the gospel. And now, all of these dear people have heard the gospel this morning as well. I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that's never accepted you as their Savior, that they would get that taken care of, that they'd get that settled this morning. We thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to have a short invitation. Nobody's looking around. But if as I preach this morning, you thought, boy, that's me. I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Won't you step out of your seat? <laughs> Come forward. Let somebody take a Bible and show you for sure how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. There is no more important decision. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to guilt you into accepting Christ as your Savior. But you're not guaranteed another breath. <laughs> you might be 35 years old and God's given you 35 years, 6 months, and 2 days. You don't know. You might be 90. God's given you 90 years and, or 98 years. You don't know. We don't know when we're going to take that last breath. But we all do know that we're going to take that last breath at some point. And if we take that last breath without accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's too late. It's too late. Won't you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today? As the piano plays, the invitation is open. If you want to make a decision for Christ, if you want somebody to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're going to be saved, then why don't you come forward as the piano plays. out this verse if you're standing there unable to make a decision don't wait don't wait take that step Be the best decision you ever made in your life and you'll never regret it <laughs>
Amen. Well, you look up here. I appreciate you coming this morning again. We want to thank all the police officers. We want to thank everybody that's here uh, for what you do. We really do. And Chief, thank you for being here this morning and, and for all your years of service. And um, we certainly want you to know that we appreciate everything that you do. And I know there's a lot of loud mouths in this world that are trying to make you think the other, the other way. But we appreciate it. And I know there's millions and millions of people that agree with us in the same way. Now look, it's a very serious topic that we talked about this morning, and I know in a public setting it's, it's maybe difficult to step out in front of everybody, or at least it feels like it is, and, and uh, come forward. But if you are struggling with this decision of whether or not you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, please come talk to me. Talk to anybody else around here that you think might be a part of this church or whatever else. Being a part of a church does not make you a Christian, just like going to a, a garage doesn't make you a car. You know, it's coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior that makes you a Christian. And that doesn't have anything to do with church. doesn't have anything to do with religion. It doesn't have anything to do with any of those things. It has everything to do with your relationship to Jesus Christ. And if you've never gotten that taken care of, don't wait to get that taken care of because you may not have another chance to do it. Glad you've been here this morning. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. By the way, I think uh, Didi showed up with coffee, right? There's a lot of Starbucks coffee out there, and there's still donuts and everything else. Don't ruin, your, don't ruin your lunch and get me in trouble, but it's out there if you want some, all right? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for all of the officers that are here representing the whole rest of the police department here in this area and, and across the country. We thank, thank you for them. We thank you for their sacrifice, for their willingness to do this job. And God, uh, we appreciate everything that they do. And I pray that you'd help them as they leave from here to know that. And I also pray that if there's anybody in this room this morning that doesn't know for sure that, they'll, that they're safe, that they'll get that taken care of. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed.